Welcome to IVP's Hypergrowth Podcast. In this series, we talk with CEOs of the fastest growing companies and discuss the ins and outs of company building in the hypergrowth environment. If you like what you hear, consider following us on SoundCloud or subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. Thanks and enjoy the show. Welcome, everyone. I'm Louisa Su, an investor at IVP. We're a venture firm focused on high growth, later stage tech companies. And we've had the privilege of investing in some of the fastest growing tech companies of the last decade, including AppDynamics, Dropbox, GitHub, and of course, Lime. Today, I have Toby Sun, CEO of Lime, joining me. Toby founded Lime in 2017, and he's now leading the world's largest electric scooter sharing company and one of the fastest growing companies of all time. If we rewind to just two years ago, when the first wave of electric scooters started to emerge in the U.S., people dismissed them as a toy or a mere fad. But the data we've seen suggests there's a lot more to the story than that. In its short history, Lime has already reached over 30 million trips across 100 markets globally. I'm excited about the potential impact of Lime in the broader micromobility ecosystem. And today, we're going to learn from Toby about how he got the company started, how he thinks about the long-term drivers of the business, and what he has learned along the way. Thanks for joining me today, Toby. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. So to set the stage a little bit, could you tell us about how you and your co-founder, Brad, first got started with the idea to build Lime? Maybe I can start by sharing um, a little bit of my life story. Right? So um, I was actually born and raised in China, similar to my co-founder, Brad. Um, in a, I mean, I was born in a city called Shenzhen, which is considered as the uh, China's uh, Silicon Valley, um, the fourth largest, third or fourth uh, largest city in China and growing very, very rapidly. It's very congested. Um, I spent all my life um, in the urban setting like Shenzhen, Shanghai, Beijing, San Francisco, uh, and uh, many kind of metropolitans. But really, it's, uh, re uh, you know, um, it's a great experience growing up um, in a kind of eastern Silicon Valley to experience how a kind of congested urban setting uh, looks like and how we can live without a car, right? So I spent all my childhood, um, you know, riding bicycles and uh, leveraging the public transit to commute to school, to work, and also um, being able to see um, how Shenzhen as kind of the uh, hardware, smart technology, um, IoT hub of the world uh, in terms of supplying the global, um, kind of meeting the global demand um, and providing the uh, high quality, scalable supply is definitely something, um, you know, interesting um, to me. And that kind of got, got me, you know, um, in the early days really into entrepreneurship and then really thinking about cross-border and global opportunities. And speaking about Lime, right, so um, I met Brad through the Berkeley MBA network. So he was actually many years ahead of me uh, and was my mentor, um, kind of, uh, you know, helped me to, you know, um, you know, get through the orientation. Then many, many years after that, he recruited me to a venture capital firm. We worked together for uh, many years. Um, as an investor. So um, the initial idea you know, of um, Lime was not really to f um, kind of found a, found a company. Um, we uh, were simply interested in, you know, number one, consumer-facing technology, and then two, leveraging the technology to solve some of the hardest problems, right? So and mobility is 
uh, one of the problems that we're super interested in because we're the daily users. We, we see the payment flow not just from ourselves, but our, our uh, friends and family. Um, so as investor, we actually look into many, many different sectors, including ride sharing, you know, autonomous driving, um, bike sharing as well, right? So we spent roughly um, six months really doing due diligence as investors, try to find an investment target, um, you know, for the uh, um, kind of a new micro-mobility opportunity after we witness um, the uh, kind of uh, bike share from China, the city bikes, how popular it is in New York, and uh, of course, I mean, in Europe, it's also very um, quite um, sustainably successful um, in many markets like Paris, the Valley bike, right? So <clears throat> we're trying to find um, a model and a team that can bring the darkest model outside of China and then um, kind of bridging the Eastern supply and uh, um, to meet the you know, global demand, right? So we, we talked to all of the players, we try to find a team, but we can't really uh, find a team that we um, think can carry on the vision. So um, at the end of the day, we think um, it's all about you know, making things happen, right? So if we can make things happen as investors through capital, we would love to do that. But uh, if we can really make that happen by adding values ourselves with hand, hands-on approach, why not do that ourselves? So um, that gets us really excited because um, you know, by living in both US and China, managing cross-border team, coming from the consumer uh, product um, and consumer internet space as operator, and then being able to look into many, many kind of uh, new startup opportunities as investors that give us a unique perspective to, um, to do something special for the micro-mobility space. That's how we got started uh, at Live. It's really cool to see kind of the different environments uh, you, you've experienced play into this story, you know, whether it's U.S. and China, whether it's your investor or your operating experience. A lot has been written about Lime, actually, in the headlines. And I'd love to take this conversation in a slightly different direction to explore some of the topics that are particularly pertinent to Lime at this specific stage in its life cycle that haven't been talked about. And the first topic I'd love to go a little bit more deeper in is you know, how you think about growth versus profitability. Especially given the capital environment today, companies constantly have to juggle kind of this trade-off between the two. And it's no secret that you guys have seen exponential growth with that velocity of user adoption even higher than what Uber was seeing in their early days. And to support that growth, you've also raised quite a bit of venture capital from, from a lot of notable firms, and we are lucky to count ourselves among them. Could you talk to us about how you think about balancing growth versus profitability and, and what's optimal for you guys at this point in time? Yeah, so uh, it's definitely a very interesting problem for us uh, and for many peer companies, uh, not just in the micromobility space, right? So um, the growth is definitely um, amazing and uh, phenomenal. Uh, it's, I would say, yes, it is faster than any of the companies that we've seen in the technology space. Um, uh, with that said, um, there is just a lot of unmet demand for that short distance, right? So car is not a good solution to move people from A to B for that one to two mile or maybe three mile uh, because of the uh, congested road, because of the uh, um, um, kind of um, just inefficiency of getting a car at the time that you need it in the rush hours, or I mean, in general, um, every day uh, in many, uh, in most of the time. So uh, we've been, you know, uh, growing really fast by, you know, launching um, our products 
in over 100 markets, five continents, you know, over 20 countries. Um, and we've had, you know, over 10 million signups and then uh, 34 million trips in total as well. Um, so growth is definitely uh, something that we feel very, very excited about. And, uh, and in the past two years, right, of the company's history, uh, I would say growth is important because one, we need to demonstrate the strong product market fit. And then also two, we, we want to test the boundary of uh, what type of market is a good fit for us, right? So I think um, as many startups, right? So we're still at the learn, um, kind of a, a run and learn phase. So being able to grow really fast to kind of uh, uh, learn from the growth momentum is super important, right? So, but with that said, I think um, for 2019 and beyond, because of the scale that we were able to uh, achieve in very short amount of time, uh, definitely, you know, profitability and then um, kind of sustainable growth, uh, growth is important. And um, it will be hard for us to optimize anything before we have certain scale, right? So um, I think one, I still, uh, I'm still a, a strong believer of uh, achieving the scale first so that you can learn by um, entering so many markets and then learn by uh, your day-to-day -day operation. Um, and those are the invaluable you know, uh, experience and resources that we have uh, versus um, other people or other peer operator. Uh, and we can learn a lot uh, faster by improving our profitability if we want to, which is the goal for this year, right? So I wouldn't say it's either or. I would say there is definitely a way to achieve both. Um, and that would be the goal for this year. I, I don't see the growth slowing down. It will be still pretty fast. Not as fast as last year, but it will be still fastest, I think, you know, among um, all of the industry in the tech space. But uh, the profitability will also have a very strong confidence that we um, will achieve, you know, profitability in many, many markets. And we've already seen, you know, positive trend um, so far. I would say, you know, for this topic, it's really kind of a positive loop, right? So you launch, you grow fast, and launch in more markets, so you gain, you know, uh, a lot more operational experience and product experience, user feedback, so that you can take all these lessons to help with our optimization on the profitability. And without the scale, without the growth, um, I, I don't think that we have a solid foundation for uh, optimization as well. So I think it's helping each other, uh, and this year will be the key focus uh, for us to, to do both. It's a really great point that it doesn't have to be a trade-off in either or between growth and profitability. Once you reach that critical scale, you can actually have a much larger playground with which to experiment with these different levers that lead to that ultimate outcome. But I guess if we were to, to focus in on unit economics, I'm sure a lot of people, whether it's investors or other operators, a question on their mind is, how do you draw a throughput line to a long-term kind of unit economic positive company? And it's a term often used in venture capital as a proxy for, for that long-term profitability. So We've seen in the food and grocery delivery companies, kind of like DoorDash and the Instacarts of the world, that there are a couple key variables like deliveries per labor hour or the ability to batch orders that really move the needle in terms of driving that unit profitability. What's really going to matter for Lime? What are those key levers for this business? Yeah, similarly, we focus on uh, a few things. Apparently, I mean, there, uh, it's all about top line and then bottom line, right? So. Top line, you know, uh, for us, it's important um, to have, you know, um, sufficient fleet so that people find it very reliable and then that will turn into high utilization 
and uh, the high utilization will provide users you know, better experience and then they were able to write more and uh, write more often, right? So, so those are kind of the three levers. So the number of fleet, uh, the utilization, which we call trip per vehicle per day, and uh, the, the revenue per, per trip as well, right? So those are the top three uh, lever. And then on the bottom line uh, front, um, so it's really, I mean, there, there are many, many cost buckets, but I would say the core ones are number one, depreciation, right? So what's the life cycle of the scooter? How you depreciate that into a kind of formula? And then two is the uh, operational cost, right? So those two are the uh, major ones that we look at. And among all those kind of five or six things, right? So I think utilization, um, depreciation, and operational costs are the, the uh, three main things. And we, um, um, based on our experience and then um, the benchmark that we see in the markets, we are actually seeing very, very positive trend and a healthy uh, unit economics, um, you know, compared with some of the other industry sometimes even uh, better than the Russia companies in the early days. But of course, there's challenges for the business is that uh, many markets um, still need time to educate um, in order to have higher um, you know, utilization. But we've nailed that in many of the markets by penetrating fast, by doing a better user edu uh, education, right? So, and uh, not to worry about the uh, um, utilization front. Um, I would say um, the depreciation is definitely something uh, you know, um, we, we need to spend a little bit more time because uh, after all, Scooter is a new um, product line, right? So compared with 200-year bike and a few hundred years cars, right? So the Scooter has been only around for less than a decade, especially for uh, electric scooters. How to make sure that we can build robust, safe, and reliable scooters that provide people great riding experience uh, and also last long, right? So that's that's the uh, challenge for not just us, but also the entire industry. And we were able to kind of uh, deliver uh, very, very uh, positive result in terms of iterating the product, um, you know, um, improving the product by operating in many markets, by operating in longer period of time, right? So if you look at our product innovation, um, so we've had eight iterations and then three major uh, generation of scooters in the matter of only 12 months. Uh, and uh, that's faster than anybody. And um, it's the, the life cycle of the scooter has been many times longer than our first generation and many, uh, and, and also longer than many of the competitors uh, of the shelf product, right? So we feel very, very proud, proud, uh, proud of that. And uh, that will significantly bring the uh, depreciation cost down. Uh, and also operational costs, right? Similar to some of the other industry like um, food delivery, right? So we can al also optimize the operational costs by better utilizing the time of our operation team, our crowdsource juicer team, um, using big data, using the um, you know uh, heat map and uh, the uh, algorithm that we built um, throughout the day-to-day -day operation from you know over 100 markets, right? So, so that they can be more um, efficient running from places to places to collect, charge, and sometimes repair the scooters, right? So um, it's, it's all about hourly throughput. Um, and I think, you know, the more that we, the longer that we operate, the more market that we operate at a global scale, uh, we'll be able to, you know, um, enjoy that benefit of optimizing the operational costs a lot faster and a lot bigger uh, than competitors, and 
at the end of the day, all these three drivers putting together will yield uh, very positive unit economics. We've already, you know, seen a very positive trend in many, many of the markets, and uh, hope hope uh, to share more um, in the future. To your point on Lime's hardware advantage, I'd love to focus on this for a minute because. It seems like that's driving a lot of the operational efficiency of the business overall. And hardware seems to be a skill set that's orthogonal to what a lot of competitors at Uber and Lyft are good at. And it's also a topic that many U.S.-based venture capitalists are not as familiar with or not as focused on. Yet in China, we see kind of the astronomical rise of hardware-centric companies like DJI and Xiaomi that are, that are now commanding a huge global presence. What do you think gives China an edge in hardware, and how is Lime positioned to take advantage of this ecosystem? So hardware is uh, is hard in general. It's it's hard not because of the complexity of the process. It's all about the ecosystem, right? So because hardware, the development cycle takes a lot longer. The capital investment is a lot bigger, um, and if you look at what <clears throat> what's happening in China and also some of the uh, um, kind of hardware-centric uh, countries, um, they're not just benefiting from the low labor costs. Of course, that's one of the advantages, but it's really the positive loop that they created by serving the global markets with their um, um, great hardware supply along the way. Because um, the more that they can, again, it's, it's, it's about the scale, it's about experience, like how we operate our scooters, the more like we like we operate scooters, um, and for them it's really I mean supply the global demand um, that they can learn you know what's needed for different markets, and then they can tune their you know supply chain uh, you know to cater that need. And also um, the ecosystem matters a lot. For example, uh, it's really hard to build uh, different manufacturers to supply different parts in one region, right? So, but if you look at Shenzhen now, because of all these uh, hardware companies and ecosystem are all centric in one city, you can basically find, you know, uh, over a thousand different parts manufactured, not just a thousand manufacturers, but a thousand, manu uh, thousand manufacturers that's specializing on different parts. And that's unseen, you know, uh, in any part of the world, right? So, and you can build a prototype, prototype in Shenzhen basically within a week. Uh, and sometimes it uh, it might take a lot longer in um, in other part of the the world. So enjoying that and more more company uh, by enjoying that kind of um, ecosystem, more more and more company will go there to uh, put in more orders, and then they will again you know um, kind of help the whole industry and uh, ecosystem to build better um, kind of uh, capabilities to lower the cost and uh, kind of improve the efficiency, right? So I think it's all about creating that positive loop to scale that fast and then build that ecosystem within that region. And I think China um, got a benefit to um, to start from the low labor kind of uh, um, system and uh, structure and then really build that ecosystem around it. So now it's a very robust mode for, for China uh, in terms of the hardware innovation. Um, and, and I think many companies are are, are trying to um, get into that ecosystem to leverage that, right? So, but it's also, uh, it also takes local expertise to understand what it takes to kind of navigate through all this ecosystem. Um, so that's why, you know, for some of the, mar the other markets, 
if they want to build the same ecosystem, it might take longer. And uh, um, so th that's why we see it's more concentrating in, in one region and one market. And similarly, it's, it seems like Lime's familiarity with that hardware supply chain in China seems to be a, a moat for you guys as well. Yeah, we do believe in that. That's why um, from the get-go, we um, invest a lot um, in the hardware team and supply supply chain because we know building a very good team will yield you know very good product in the long run right so that's why we're able to you know iterate the product really fast and also take feedback from the markets uh, fast and kind of uh, reflect that in our next generation of uh, product innovation and uh, that will help us to get into more markets because uh, more markets are the newer markets are interested in the improved product right so Everything adds up, um, you know, help us to grow a lot faster, uh, not just from market expansion perspective, but also from the product uh, iteration perspective. If you're looking forward three years from today, what will Lime scooters be able to do then that they can't do today? Are there specific areas you're focused on improving? Yeah, totally. <clears throat> I think, um, again, you know, product, uh, product experience is something that we um, keep um, working on, right? So there are a lot more things that we still um, want to deliver um, with the product, um, but we just don't have the bandwidth. And then um, now it's pretty much basic function. We want it to be, you know, long-lasting, very robust. But you know, in terms of the customized, uh, personalized riding experience, uh, there's a lot more that we can do, right? So, for example, navigation. For example, reminding the users uh, about the local kind of uh, attractions. Um, uh, and the point of interest, right? So um, a lot more software and hardware integration that we can do on top of the exciting scooter network that we build together uh, is something that we hope to um, continuously add value for our user. And the other thing that I, I think at Lime, everybody is super excited is about um, improving the quality of the city, right? So I, I mean, the infrastructure of the city. Um, Many, many people uh, that we talk to want to have better infrastructure in terms of the, the bike lane or scooter lane or um, bike or scooter parking, right, which is quite lacking in the developed world, um, especially in the U.S., right, so it's quite car-centric. So um, in the next three years, hopefully with our continuous push and further penetration, uh, we can um, either direct or indirect influence the city and work alongside with the city to improve the infrastructure, to build more bike lane, build more parking spot uh, for the non-car vehicles. It sounds like from kind of all of the constituents involved, whether it's the city, the infrastructure regulators, or the supply chain in China, Lime is just a really incredibly complex business to operate, especially considering that it's operating on a global scale. There are also network effects that kick in when a market reaches a tipping point in terms of riders and vehicles, as I re recall. In your mind, what's going to be the true long-term moat for this business as you look forward? Yeah, I think number one, the uh, experience of uh, operation is definitely important because this is a complex um, on-the-ground operation, right? Being able to understand how to operate in different type of markets matters. Like to operate in New York is different from operate in San Francisco. Um, and it's also quite different from operate in um, San Mateo, right? So um, I think having that global footprint and then the, not just the breadth, but also the depth 
in terms of understanding the market dynamic um, <clears throat> and in terms of how to operate at different scale is very important. And uh, I think we, um, by, by operating in so many markets, allow, allow us to learn a lot faster and then be able to provide better uh, operational uh, um, kind of uh, um, result, right? So, and that create a very good experience for the users. I think that's one. And then two, I think it's really the uh, hardware supply um, part of it, right? So, um, as I said, you know, understand the users will help us to build better product and then um, invest a lot and uh, a lot more and a lot earlier and the supply chain allows us to iterate the product a lot faster. So that will create a more reliable experience for the users and uh, um, to help them to stick with our uh, hardware and then the app, right? So, and the third thing I think is really about the community um, partnership, right? So um, we, we're probably, we're probably the, the first company that set up the uh, community and government relationship team in the disruptive kind of tech industry because we think that's a very important part for us to long-term sustainably you know, operate in the city. Uh, we see Lime as a true uh, part of the uh, eco city's ecosystem because it's visible, it's quite similar to the public transit, right? So we invest a lot in that to help us to build a brand, not just for the user, but also the non-users and then also the city officials, right? So um, having that trust um, between Lime and the city is very, very, uh, takes a long time. And uh, I think, you know, everything that we've done in the past two years um, is the kind of the, the advantage that we build for us to long-term, you know, serving the city. Outside of the U.S., China, as we mentioned before, seems to have been a petri dish of innovation in the transportation space over the last few years. And they've produced some pretty valuable companies like Mobike that sold for $2.7 billion, Ofo, which was once valued at $2 billion, and I think Hellobike, which recently also just raised a round. In your opinion, what has worked well for these companies? And conversely, are there mistakes that these companies made that Lime can learn from? I would say they're all very respectful uh, peer operator, and we actually learn a lot from them, right? So, uh, and also we learn a lot from not just the Chinese uh, counterparts, but also the global transportation companies um, like Uber, like Kareem, like you know, some of the other ride-share companies like Lyft. Um, it's at the end of the day, I think there are a few things that matters. Um, and we just need to stick to all these uh, most important um, kind of categories uh, and always invest in those categories. Number one is about the product, right? So I, th I think we, um, I, I've already shared some of our thoughts, but I think it's, it's very, very important to stay true to what the user needs. And for our business, it's even a little bit more complex because it's not about just making the users uh, happy, but also making the cities happy, right? So I think the product should serve uh, the purpose, uh, should serve the two kind of uh, audience uh, in the same time. So whether we can continue to improve the product and the focusing on the product kind of features to deliver better user experience to make it uh, more reliable uh, so that people always consider scooters as the first choice of their transportation mode. And also, on the other hand, whether the uh, product improvement and features can help the city to feel, oh, this is something that I really want. <clears throat> in addition to that, I really see that as a long-term solution um, 
you know, in addition to my city's uh, public transit um, options, right? So I think, you know, making sure the product is always um, kind of our customer centric is, is super important, that's one. And then two, um, local insights and local approach is important, right? So uh, because we're running a global business, um, different markets has different needs and it just, you, there's, there's no one approach fits all um, kind of scenario. Um, we've seen a lot of interesting uh, insights from different markets and some we can borrow and uh, kind of share across the board, but a lot um, are different. Um, so how to kind of, um, kind of take all these local insights and then um, kind of customize our operational approach. Um, community engagement is quite important. Um, last but not least, I would say um, it's, um, it's about kind of uh, um, leveraging the technology in a way that we, we can kind of um, continue to build on what we know. Uh, um, in, in this case, it's about the IoT network, it's about the uh, data that we collected in an uh, anonymous way, right? So to share with the city, to help them to uh, improve the infrastructure um, so that we build further trust and uh, leverage the data to help us to better place the scooters so that the users can um, you know, have better experience, right? So I think focusing on the things that's unique to the business and, uh, um, and, uh, and always think about, um, think about the local needs um, are, the, are some of the key things that we, we, we think we should uh, continue to do. To your point about the idiosyncratic needs of different cities and how you have a customized, more tailored approach have you noticed that there are certain cities that are better fit for scooters than others? And if so, do you have a thesis on what makes a good market for scooters? For, for good markets, I, I think you know, many markets um, need scooter. As long as people need to walk, uh, and uh, sometimes when people feel it's too long to walk and then too, too short to drive, there's a need, right? So, but of course, you know, from, from Prioritization perspective: There are more. Uh, there are some markets that's uh, needing the scooters uh, more than some of the other markets. I would say there are a few 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 things that we look at. So number one is really um, the kind of um, density of the market, right? So um, uh, the the denser the market is, the harder it is to get around with a car, and uh, um, people are looking for alternative, you know. Um, transportation mode. So that, that's how the bike and scooters come in to serve people more efficiently. And then two, I think it's really about the uh, com commuting pattern, right? So if we see a market that has um, either very strong public transit system or a public transit system is too slow um, um, in terms of the de development cycle to meet the demand, I think there's a need. For, um, for the two-wheel lightweight personal mobility, which is scooter and bike. Um, and the third thing is really um, kind of the uh, overall vision of the city. Um, some of the cities are more progressive. Uh, some are slightly slower to adopt the new ideas. I think we, um, we, we would love to work with both type of cities. But of course, I mean, um, if the city is, is moving uh, a lot faster than the others, uh, we were more than happy to kind of accelerate our footprint in those markets. That's why, you know, compared with the U.S. markets, we've seen European markets moving a lot faster, and uh, they're, they're more welcoming this uh, type of um, 
mobility options, uh, and they're more ready from infrastructure perspective. And the last thing is really infrastructure, right? So we, we would love to see more bike lanes. We would love to see more people riding, um, using the non-car vehicles already, right? So those are all positive signs for us to decide where to go first. To your point on markets that are a little less progressive, the ones that are you know, hesitant to adopt, one of the key areas of concern for them is this topic of safety. It seems like that's been reported on the media as well pretty recently. And we all know that scooters provide great leverage to, to transportation networks in terms of energy and space efficiency, which yields greater traffic bandwidth. But despite these positive externalities, there's still lots of people who are concerned about safety. And so I'm curious from a customer education perspective, how do you think about improving safety for the service? And what have you guys learned along the way? We take safety really, really seriously. This is um, the top priority for the company. I think for anything that's running on the street and touching people, um, safety is just number one thing um, that we need to kind of hold really, really true. Um, and uh, we invest a lot in safety from product perspective, from um, the marketing edu uh, education perspective, and uh, also uh, from the customer support perspective, right? So on the uh, product front, right? so the uh, Lime Gen Generation 3 scooter, which you also tried uh, in our office, uh, we're super excited about that because it's more robust. Um, so we have dual suspension, uh, so three braking mechanism, and uh, um, the sensors that we build into the scooters can detect many kind of malfunctioning. Um, so we're excited to launch that product and then that will help, um, you know, the user to have, you know, they'll, they'll basically provide a very, very um, safe riding experience for the users, uh, which take a lot of lessons that we learned in the past. And secondly, um, we invest a lot in the uh, marketing and education campaign together with the cities. Uh, for example, um, we invested three millions in our respect the right uh, marketing campaign to educate people, hey, ride on the bike lane, don't ride on, on the sidewalk, um, and uh, ride respect, uh, respect, uh, responsibly. Um, and uh, in addition to that, we also um, you know, um, distribute a lot of helmets. So about uh, a, quarter, um, a quarter million helmets are um, either distributed or you know, to be dis distributed to our riders. And uh, um, from customer service perspective, right, so we have insurance cover every single ride, and we have 24-7 customer service, which we look into every single ticket uh, that uh, got reported to um, the system, and we'll have fast response, uh, responsive team. Uh, and of course, um, the, com uh, the company has been growing really, really fast, so there are still things that we can do better, but we're super, super committed to uh, to improve the safety. The last thing I want to ask is, what are you most excited about what's ahead for Lime this year? At the end of the day, um, what kind of uh, wakes me up at, uh, every morning is the possibility of uh, enabling Lime to um, make people's life easier, more convenient, and uh, you know provide the affordable um, form of trans transportation for people that people otherwise don't get that option, right? So I think touching people's life multiple times and then impact them in a positive way is something that I feel very excited. So to be more specifically, we would love to, you know, one, um, keep iterating um, the product so that we can serve more markets and then more users, um, hopefully by the end of the year, 
uh, we'll be able to you know enter more countries and more markets um, ideally double if not more um, and for users right so now we have more than 10 million sign up um, we hope to see you know uh, a few more acts um, in terms of the uh, signups and then weekly riders. Um, and last but not least is really the uh, long-term partnership with the city, right? So uh, in the past, we invested a lot in terms of um, the city relationship building and uh, trying to kind of really work with them hand in hand, um, listen to their feedback. And this year, I think, uh, is, is the moment and um, an opportunity for us to realize a lot of things that we kind of um, heard in the past and uh, put that into the product and into the uh, daily operation in terms of safety, in terms of the parking, um, so that you know, the product and the service is you know, um, um, kind of a very integrated system within the city. And not just the writer like it, but also the non-writers like it as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Toby. Thank you. Thank you for listening to IVP's Hypergrowth Podcast. You can learn more about us on IVP.com or join the conversation on Twitter by tweeting at IVP.